0: Let's read the word of the Lord. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, "'Who is it you want?' "'Jesus of Nazareth,' they replied. "'I am he,' Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. When Jesus said, "'I am he,' they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, "'Who is it you want?' "'Jesus of Nazareth,' they said. Jesus answered, "'I told you that I am he.'" If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those who you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers, with its commander and the Jewish officials, arrested Jesus and they bound him. This is God's word.
1: Amen. morning, everybody. Thank you, Vince, for reading so beautifully from that passage. No one else agreed that you did beautifully, but I liked it. Um, hey, everybody. Uh, i just like to say, this is the same person who was up here like five minutes ago, um, leading worship. Uh, Sometimes we don't like to schedule it uh, where I'm doing both at the same time. And uh, I I typically say we had a name for it, J-K-L-O-L, Just Kenny Loving on the Lord. So uh, just loving on the Lord today with you. And uh, it's a privilege to be uh, preaching today from this passage. And um, just as as we get started uh, looking at this passage... Um, it feels kind of like a, a, a little bit of a family reunion today because I was looking out as we were uh, singing songs of worship, and I just keep seeing familiar faces that I haven't seen in a while. We've got people here from Michigan. Um, Kristen and Max, brother and sister-in-law, are here. And I know Dave and Shannon have uh, uh, guests here, their family here, uh, son and daughter-in-law. And um, I saw Matthew and Hannah Nelson and their kids um, here as well and I, I don't see them here right now. But anyways, um, it's, so, it's so good to have all of you with us, and, and a lot of other faces I don't recognize, um, so welcome. Um, we're very glad to have you here today. Um, let me see if you guys can say this word with me, the word sovereign. Sovereign. Okay, good job. Sovereign, sovereignty. Um, we think of different things... When we think of the word sovereign, it's not a um, word that we use a whole lot in our day and age. And usually when we do, we're talking about like a nation, like a nation is sovereign. They, they have the ability to set their own rules and to govern themselves. They're a sovereign nation. Um, but when we talk about God's sovereignty and when the Bible talks about God's sovereignty, which I believe this passage really really uh, hints at and really shows us a glimpse of God's sovereignty. What we're talking about is the idea that God is, uh, God is the king, God is the supreme ruler, God is the, the lawgiver of the whole universe, and that God is sovereign. Does that make sense? Um, uh, my wife, uh, at her job, she uh, has to make a lot of calls to people, and she gets a lot of voicemails, uh, you know, voicemail messages, and you know, she gets to hear different interesting ones, and sometimes she'll tell me about them, but one of them recently that, uh, you know, she made the call, person didn't pick up, goes to voicemail, and she said, it, you know, it was a lady, and it was just very straightforward, you know, hey, uh, um, you know, you reached so-and-so's phone, I'm not here, leave me a message, but then at the end, like right when she thought it was over, the lady on her voicemail says, and remember, God is in control. Beep. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and uh, Hannah was telling me about this, and I was like, what a unique voicemail, right? It's like, just tack on a sermon on the end of it, right? God is in control. Beep. And... Um, The interesting thing about that, though, is if I were to tell you today, which I will tell you, God is in control or God is sovereign, that's going to hit different people in a different way. Some of you are going to be immediately comforted by that. You're going to think about a situation you're going through and you're going to remember, you know what? Like God is working all things together and and he is going to bring me through this. And then others of you. Instead of comfort, initially, it may bring kind of, you may be conflicted in your heart. Or you may be thinking, well, I don't know if I can, if God's in control of this and, and this, this, situ, this bad situation God is letting happen, and God's in control of that, well, I don't know if I want to trust God's sovereignty. Does that make sense? So I'm aware that it's going to hit us in different ways. Places and, and I know that in this passage, this passage is not a teaching on God's sovereignty, it doesn't answer all the questions. I, I like to say that a good sermon will, will um, create more questions than it answers. So, my hope today is not that you would leave out and you have all the test answers checked off for okay, God's in control, God's sovereign. Here's my scantron of belief, <laughs> right? It's not that, but it's to say, It's at least to get your interest piqued that maybe if you're comforted, you'll be more comforted. And maybe if you're conflicted when I say, hey, God's in control, that you'll be comforted and you'll learn to trust in him more. Because the passage, as we'll see, the message that God put on my heart to highlight today was that we can have hope because God is sovereign despite the circumstances. Despite how the circumstances may appear, no matter what the situation looks like, we can have hope, not in the circumstance, but in the God who is sovereign over the circumstances. Because all of us face tough situations. Can I get an amen? And maybe some of y'all are in one now, or maybe you're thinking of one that happened a few years ago, but you do not get a free pass in this life to skip over tough and challenging situations, to skip over times of suffering or times of questioning. But what we are offered in that is whether or not we're going to go through that with hope, whether or not we're going to go through that and and draw closer to God or get further away from God. Does that make sense? Sorry, guys, I just jumped right into the message, man. We, there was no runway. We're just like, we're, we're flying, all right? At least I think we're flying. Um, so let's look at a few um, points of this passage that highlight the hope that we can have because God is sovereign. And before I go straight to the passage, I just want to take a brief moment and, and maybe if you even want to close your eyes, you can do this. It might help you to concentrate. But I just want you to think that when we talk about God's sovereignty, that everything that has happened in your life, everything that happened over this last week, everything that has brought you to where you are right now, sitting here with this church, in the presence of God, hearing about his goodness and his grace and being reminded of that. That all of that is within the realm of God's sovereignty. The good, the bad, the ugly, the great, the mountains, the valleys. All of that is within the realm of God's jurisdiction and his sovereignty. And he is if your hope is in him, he is redeeming and he has made promises that he will come
0: through on. All right.
1: Thanks for taking that moment with me. <laughs> so as we look at the passage today, I think one of the, the main things that comes to me is that there is irony in this passage. You know, we've been going through for a few weeks and we've been... when. We've been talking about Jesus' kind of last words to his disciples and the whole last chapter, we broke it down into three weeks because he was praying and there was so much beauty in, in what he's praying. But now it's 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 not just words and ideas, it's action. And now he's in a garden um, outside of the city of Jerusalem and he's with his disciples and he said he's been there many times before. And Judas, who has already left him, he's the betrayer. He's gone to betray Jesus, right? And now... When Judas shows up in this scene, um, he's not alone anymore. He's got uh, Roman soldiers with him. He's got uh, basically Jewish temple police with him. And he's got himself, which he was one of the 12, but now he is betraying Jesus. And they didn't just uh, come in a friendly way. They came at night, and they had torches and lanterns and weapons, and they're coming to get Jesus, and I think the irony that I see in this passage is is this. The last verse that Vince read, verse 12, says that the end of the scene is that they arrested him and bound him, and I want you to think about the irony there, that this is the Lord Jesus who we just sang three songs to, And who we worship. And yet, where we see him right now is basically cuffed. And seemingly under the authority of someone else. Seemingly out of control. Does that make sense? But do you see how that's ironic? (laughs) Because as dire as that situation is, and, and here's the thing, it's okay to go over a passage that's that's kind of dark because it points us to what we're celebrating this week, which is the hope we have on the other side of it. Amen. But the irony here is that God who is in control, that, that God was in Christ and that Christ is here, the one we worship. But here he is arrested and bound and led away to a trial that was basically a mockery that leads to his crucifixion and death. Is God at work in that? Is that all right to ask? Is God at work in that? That's the irony because God is at work in that. Because regardless of how the situation appears at this moment, God is at work. And what you see in this passage is that Jesus is trusting that God is at work. Jesus is trusting, and actually, when you read it, you begin to wonder, who's really in control here? (laughs) Because there's a mob, and depending on if you study it, there might have been as many as 200 people in this mob, maybe more, right? Versus Jesus and 11 disciples (laughs) in a garden. (laughs) And uh, when they come up with torches and lanterns and swords, Jesus... Verse 4, it says this, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Now, um, I don't know about you, (laughs) but um, would that be your response if a mob of 200 people (laughs) with weapons in the dark (laughs) came to you and you knew they were looking for you? Right? And, and, And yet... What does, what does Jesus do? I had a situation happen. I didn't know if I was going to share this story, but this happened to me several years ago when I, I worked downtown and lived downtown, and our church at the time was downtown, like more downtown, and, um, and I left work one day, and I was walking up by the old library, and um, I remember, you know, I was just just trying to go home, and next thing you know, I, I get right by the library, and a car pulls up and just opens the door, and this. Guy gets out of the car and just walks straight towards me. Be kind of like, you know, right? Except this guy was like 6'3, maybe. He had a good three or four inches on me, and he had a good hundred pounds on me. <laughs> right? And and he just starts to say, I don't remember all that he said, my memory is failing me, but he did say, identify yourself. And I was and I tried to, you know, just ignore him and keep walking, but that did not. Happened. Right? He gets closer. Identify yourself. The next thing I know, my arm is behind my back and I'm pushed up against the library wall. And this guy's, t- I, you know, I have to, I guess, I identify myself. I don't have any option, right? And luckily, I'm, he, he, he's doing, identify yourself. And he's like, are you Matthew Henson? I just made up that name. But something like, he's like, are you Matthew Henson? And I was like, no, I'm Kenny Lyles. <laughs> and and luckily I'm left-handed and my wallet's in my left pocket and I pulled out my wallet. I'm Kenny Lyles, right? <laughs> I identified myself, right? Then he lets me go and goes off to his car, and I never saw a badge. Um, I didn't know what was going on. I don't know if he's a bounty hunter. He just said as he was leaving, you fit the description of a fugitive. And then he got his car and left. And yeah. <laughs> I don't have anything else there to say. I mean uh, fit this. You guys can do a background check on me. You could see it? Is that what you said? I could see it. Yeah, I could see the fugitive in you. Um, I say that all all to say this. Like, in that moment, I was shocked. I was bewildered. I was a little bit terrified. I knew, like, I knew cognitively I didn't do anything, right? (laughs) But I didn't know what was going on. Now, here's Jesus with 200 people at night or however many people you want to say. More than one, right? There's a mob of people at night coming towards him. And and when it says he went out of the garden, it was not running away to get away from them. It was going towards them. And he said, who is it that you want? I want you to see there that Jesus is not only testifying to who he is, he's doing the interrogation too. (laughs) He's making them confess, who did you come here for? Jesus of Nazareth is, I am he. And depending on, on how you say that, you know, it says that they fell back, that they drew back and, and fell to the ground. And some people say they're just amazed at, at, they're just flabbergasted that he would be so honest. And other people say that it's this show of God's power because that the words he used there echo the I am of the Old Testament. I am he. And then he makes him say it again. Who is it that you want? Jesus asks, Well, I told you I am he. <laughs> and then he says this if you want me, then let these go. Who is in control in this situation? Who is he trusting in in this situation? Is that. But who does it look like is in control in this situation? The mob, right? After all, they're the ones that led him away, arrested and bound. What's my point here before moving to the next one? (laughs) Jesus is not running away. Jesus is not shaken. Jesus is not rattled. Why? Because this was not an unfortunate turn of events. This was not an unforeseen catastrophe to Jesus. Jesus was not surprised by the cross. It may have seemed like this was unforeseen. It may have seemed like the, to the disciples around him, it may have seemed like this is spinning out of control. Who is in control here? What is happening? This is the one we've hoped on. It may seem out of control, but to Jesus, no, this is the hour that he came for. This is the hour that he said in chapter 12, the, the hour for the son of man to be glorified is here. This is the hour that the whole last chapter he was praying and sanctifying himself for and setting himself aside for. This is the hour that he came to make the Father's love known to us. Jesus' hope was in the fact that God was working out his sovereign plan. No matter how the situation looked, no matter how out of control everyone else thought it was, and no matter how out of control it looked, he trusted in God's sovereignty even when his hands were tied. So if Jesus, you would think if Jesus is trusting and showing this kind of trust, um, the disciples would just follow him, right? Right? (laughs) They would just, oh yeah, well Jesus seems like he knows what's going on. Uh, (laughs) No, but uh, they scatter. Um, Anyone know that? Yeah? Right? So they're scattering, but we see a little bit of their response, and uh, we see it in Peter, uh, chapter 18, verse 10. This is uh, Peter's response to a situation that seems to be spinning out of control. Um, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Tis but a flesh wound. And uh, the servant's name was Malchus, so often the scriptures, when they give us someone's name, it's because the scriptures are written around the same time that these people were alive, so you can go ask that person um, about their ear, (laughs) Um, or whatever it is, but what was Peter's response in this situation that seemed like it was out of God's control? It was to pick up his sword. Peter picked up his sword. Put yourself in Peter's shoes with me, if you will. Jesus is the one you've been following for three years. Jesus is the one that your hope is in to set your people free from Roman oppression. Jesus is the one who has taught you what life means. You've seen him do miracles. You've seen him um, multiply the bread and the fishes to feed thousands. You've seen him walk on water. You walked on water with him. Your hope is in him. You're the one, you're the first one who confessed, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the son of God. And now you're seeing him be arrested and bound and taken off by Roman officials and by the high priest officials and by Judas, one who was in your circle. You guys with me? Are you with Peter rather? <laughs> right? And then when this situation looks like it's completely spinning out of control, Peter doesn't exactly just like, you know what? God's in control here. (laughs) He's like, where's that sword? Schwing, right? Right? Why am I bringing this up? I'm sorry if I'm being a little too silly, y'all, but um, I'm bringing this up because Peter's actions here are a picture of us. It's a picture of what I do and i believe what probably many of you do in similar situations in the situations where if i can be so frank where it looks like god's hands are tied where it doesn't feel like god's in control it doesn't seem like god's actually gonna redeem this i don't know how he's going to work through this and and here's the thing i'm not trying to make light of what you're facing Because we face real things. I don't want to with this sermon today, with this message today, I don't want to brush over. I don't want to say, hey, just believe more, just have faith. It doesn't matter whatever that you've gone through. Because we go through real things that we really don't know how God is going to redeem. Anyone? We're in those situations where it doesn't make sense. And I don't know about you, but for me, a lot of times my reaction is to take this into my own hands, to find some way to take this into my own hands or to take revenge. Here's the thing. We don't know what Peter's, what was going on in his mind or in his heart. We don't know if he was doing this. I mean, I don't think that he thought he could take on 200 people, you know, like, um, It's not like, you know, one of those movies where the main character just gets one sword and just goes crazy, right? I, I don't know what he was doing. So I don't know if he was doing it to defy the high priest and, and make a statement. Or I don't know if he was doing it to say, Jesus, I'll, I'll die with you. I'll die for you. I'll go with you to, to the death. So here we go. Right? We, don't, we don't know what was going on in his heart, but we know what happened in his actions, And we see him trying to take this into his own hands. And, uh, you know, maybe if I could be so bold as just to ask today, what is, and you don't have to say it out loud, but just to think about it, what is the situation that you are facing or you have faced where it seems like God's hands are tied? Where it seems like, uh, you know, I know that God is in control. God is in control, (laughs) But it doesn't seem like it for this. Or I know God's in control in the big scheme of things, but that doesn't really apply to this work thing that I'm facing right now. Or that doesn't really apply, I don't know how it applies to this sickness in my body. Or I don't know how it applies to that fight I just had with my spouse. Or with my child who just made a horrible decision, I don't know what to do. How does God being in control and God being sovereign apply to that? And so often we try to take things in our own hands. We go looking for revenge. We try to Maybe we try to remove ourselves from the situations by any means. We try to distance ourselves from God or just cut off the emotions or we try to take over and manage the whole situation and we end up just kind of crushing ourselves under this anxiety of it's all falling on me and I've got to manage it. And if I don't, <laughs> internal dialogue that's, that's why I can say it right if I don't take control of this well God's not doing it so I've got to do it and I want to ask in that because I, I believe that that we all have felt that in some way or another is there a better way is there a way that's more in line with actual truth actual hope is there a way that actually gives us courage and will and the willpower to face the hard situations that we can't get away from or ignore? Is there a way that points to a hope that is beyond ourselves and bigger than ourselves and powerful enough to lift ourselves up into it? Well, I believe there is, and that's why I'm preaching today. <laughs> Otherwise, we would just have a really depressing um, first half of a message, and uh, <laughs> I believe there is, and I believe what Jesus tells Peter in this passage gives us a clue to that. What's the first thing he says? Verse 11, John eighteen eleven. 11, Jesus uh, suggested to Peter, um, not really, he didn't suggest, uh, the word is he commanded Peter. <laughs> All right. Not, it's not like a, hey, Peter, you might want to think about this. Um, no, this is a command from Jesus to Peter. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Put your sword away. Can I tell you today, put your sword away. I'm not telling... I'm not telling you to be lazy and apathetic. I'm not telling you to be fatalistic or deterministic. I'm just telling you what Jesus told Peter. Put your sword away. There's more at play here. There's things bigger than you can control going on. And there's a hope within it, no matter how dark it seems. Put your sword
0: away. Why? Why?
1: is tracking at all I Let me tell you something. I'm not interested in a faith that doesn't apply to my life where it hurts. I don't want that. Cuz if the faith I have doesn't apply to the things I don't understand, then it's no good. So I got to be honest with you a little bit today, I'm a little intimidated bringing a message like this today to, to our church family and to everyone who's here, because I know that it's potentially really heavy. And I know that there's potential arguments going on in your mind that you are like punching my points in your mind. Like, what about this? What about this? And I can't answer all that. I don't even know if I could answer all that if we were sitting down one on one. But I I do know that God's put something on my heart from this passage, and I do believe that God will use it to bless you if you take hold of it. And if you find out what it means to put your sword away or what God may be asking you to do, to trust him in. But when we say, why can we put our sword away? We hinted at it earlier because Jesus is not surprised by the cross. And, and the cross, if it was just the cross that we were left with, we wouldn't really know what to make of it very much. But how many know that after Good Friday, there's an Easter? The cross is powerful, but we wouldn't really know how powerful the cross was or what it meant, or we wouldn't even really have a glimpse that God was in this whole thing unless we had a resurrection. Is that tracking? You see that for the early Christians because they thought it was all over. Listen to me. Christianity, if there's no resurrection, Christianity would not be here. Christianity would have stopped before it began because all of his closest followers had their heads hung down and were, they thought it was all over. They didn't even believe when the women came and told them and said, He's risen. <laughs> they still didn't fully get it, but they eventually got it. And that changed everything. In the scene that we're looking at, Peter, Peter, He's taken up his sword. The very next scene, he's denying that he knows Jesus. And he does it three times in one night. He's lying. He's disowning Jesus. Then he's weeping. He feels outcast and away from Jesus. But you know what? He didn't stay that way. And you know what changed him? That Jesus rose again. And that he began to see... God was in this. This was not random. This was not out of God's control. This was not something that happened in God's world that he didn't know about. No, this was, God was working through this to bring about his whole plan. Amen? Let me prove it to you. All right. Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. People have been filled with the Spirit. Peter's there among them. This is seven weeks after Jesus was crucified, right? But now, Jesus has been raised again. The disciples have interacted with him and seen it and have understood the Scriptures. And now they've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does Peter do? He gets up and he preaches, And listen to what he says, part of his message. Verse 22. I think we have it on the screen. He says, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you. I also want to say he's preaching in Jerusalem, the city that put Jesus to death seven weeks ago. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross but God raised him from the dead Do you see how Peter's understanding of that moment has changed because of the hope he has in the resurrection Do you see how he doesn't have to say, you know, God did all that He he admitted humans are responsible but god is sovereign you know people get confused and say hey was it god's will that this bad thing happened to me and i think sometimes it has to do with that confusion of between god's will of precept how he how he has declared that we should live as his creatures and god's will of decree which is his overall will for history that He is pushing toward that He will redeem all things and make all things new and that we are looking forward to His kingdom in fullness. And when we confuse those, people can get really hurt by saying, well, yeah, that was God's will. But here's the thing. It's never God's will for someone to lie to you. It's never God's will for someone to hurt you, to abuse you. Are we tracking? That's against God's will of precept. But with the promise that we have here today is even though humans are responsible for when they go against God's will, God's will, overall will, will not be thwarted. God, the way God has promised that things will be, will come to pass. The redemption that God has promised in your life is not dependent on anyone else but him, and he keeps his promises. I hope that you hear that today as a word of comfort. Peter began to understand that the cross was less about what the world was doing to Jesus and more about what Jesus was doing for the salvation of the world. The situation that looked like it was completely out of God's control. God was using all that, redeeming it to make, to to take the greatest crime in history when, when we put to death the author of our lives. The greatest crime in history, and he made it the greatest rescue story in history, the greatest love story in history, the greatest hope of redemption in history. Are you hearing me today? What would it look like to put your sword away? What would it mean to trust in God's sovereignty? And I don't mean in a way that just lays over and says, okay, yeah, whatever, I'll just, God's gonna do what he's gonna do and I'll just be apathetic. That's not what I'm talking about. But what would it look like to actually believe that if your hope is in God? if you are his, that he has not forgotten about you. Even if it looks like it. That even though it's dark where you are right
0: now, that his light has not been snuffed out. What would it look like?
1: Earlier this week, Or it might have been last week. I don't know when I was thinking about it. But I'm 32 right now, and I moved out here when I was about three days before I turned 22. So I've been in California for 10 years, over 10 years. And um, a lot has happened in that 10 years. Um, I got married a few years ago. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I didn't know any of you in here 10 years ago. Um, all sorts of things have happened, but, and I've worked all kinds of jobs, and all, all sorts of things have happened. But I remember just thinking in that moment, what would the 32-year-old version of me, if I had a chance to meet the 22-year-old version of me who just moved here, what would I tell myself? And the first things I thought of was like several ways where I would just be like, dude, like, Relax. <laughs> relax. And that's not just not not the, just this message of hey, just everything's gonna be fine. It's not it. It's like God's got you. God's in control, and you're gonna go through heavy stuff and hard stuff and challenging stuff where you're scratching your head and you don't know why and you don't you can't make sense of it. And the most natural thing is to pull out that sword and go for it. <laughs> Try to manage it yourself. Try to take revenge. Try to. But what would it look like to trust in God? Because we don't always have that knowledge. You know, I talk about Peter went from this sword to this, to the sermon that he gave, and he's saying, like, yeah, there was bad, evil things going on, but God was working through it, and 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 now we have hope. Right? But Peter, in that moment that we read today, he doesn't know that in real time. And, and how many know that that's kind of like us in real time, <laughs> right? When you get that call from the doctor or when that situation comes up on your radar, you don't know how it's going to be resolved in real time, amen, right? And so I don't know about you, but it's not always my first default to be like, I'm going to trust God in this. <laughs> sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Sometimes my first default is I need to freak out about this, until I figure it out and control it. And that's what God's called me to do. (laughs) Just like Peter didn't perfectly trust that God was sovereign in the midst of this situation where it looks like God's hands are tied, Peter failed, and so do we. But if we fail, where is our hope? Our hope is in Jesus. And I want to point specifically to the rest of what Jesus told Peter. He says, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Sounds a little weird to us. Uh, what's this cup mean? What's it symbolic of? And um, the, uh, the cup, or the idea of the cup in that day was a symbol almost, almost always in the Old Testament scriptures, a symbol of suffering. And, and often a symbol of God's judgment against sin. God's judgment, righteous judgment, God's taking care of and dealing with sin, re- rebellion against Him and His ways. That it's a cup of wrath. Isaiah fifty-one. We read it in the. Uh, if you read the CBR passage this week, it talks about this image of the cup of wrath, and that um, if if the, talking about if if Jerusalem drank the cup, that they that they had to drink the cup of God's wrath, and that they were drunk with it and stumbling. <laughs> right. It's this picture of God's righteous judgment. Against sin. But when Jesus is talking about this cup, he's never sinned. It's not any kind of wrath or judgment against his own sin that he's been given from the Father to drink. It's the cup of wrath, God's wrath against our sin, against my sin, and against your sin. And what we see here is Jesus saying, a rhetorical question where he's basically saying, of course I'm going to drink the cup. This is what I came to do, to drink the cup of God's wrath for you, for you and for me. And he drank that cup on the cross when he didn't know sin. He never sinned, but he became sin for you and I so that we might become the righteousness of God. He drank the cup of God's wrath so that we could taste Living water. So that we could draw from that well, draw draw with joy from the wells of salvation. So that there could be rivers of living water billowing forth from out of us. And it would not have been possible if Jesus would not have drank that cup on our behalf. Does that make sense? And so I can't always, we can't always We can rarely make sense of the suffering that we face. But when our hope is in Jesus, when when our trust is in Him, when we know that we are His, when we have been adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters, we know that when we face suffering, it's not God pouring punishment on us for our sin. Because He took that punishment. He drank the cup. We know that no matter what he faced, he went through that dark hour. So that we could have life. So that we could have resurrection hope. And that's why that's why Paul in First Corinthians 15, that's why he argues about the resurrection hope, because he says if there's not a resurrection, you don't have hope. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> you don't have hope, but there is. And so you have every hope. And, I, and, and if anyone will be honest with me, the block is I'll believe in that hope for eternity, but I won't believe in it for Monday. Does that make sense? I'll believe in it for, yeah, that'll be good when I die. But I don't make that connection that, no, that's good for right now. That is the reality that I'm living in if I am a Christian. If I believe that Jesus rose again from the dead and has promised that for me, that is what I am saying I'm believing. That's what I'm singing about believing. That's what we're preaching about believing. But if we're not believing it Monday through Saturday, that's the breakdown. God is Sovereign, Even when it doesn't look like he is, even when it, bad things happen, it doesn't mean that bad things are good. No, bad things are still bad. But it does mean that God is redeeming for those. <laughs> Anyone with me today? He's redeeming. Romans 8, and we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose. We know that that decree, that His will, will prevail. That history is not just meaningless and headed towards nothing. That it is headed toward a glorious end. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it is our great privilege to confess that now. In hope and in faith. We've already, if you're here today and you and you have, if you are in Christ, that that kindling for that fire has already been placed in your heart. You've already tasted and seen what the kingdom of God is like, even if it's just a little bit. Imagine that in its completeness. That's what Jesus came to promise us. And if he didn't, he didn't promise us anything. I'm sorry if I'm being too frank. He didn't just come to tell us how to do better. He came to redeem us. Romans 8.31 has a verse that I believe is encouraging. 8.31 and thirty two, and we have it today. It says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If the sovereign God and Lord of the universe is for you, who can be against you? What can come against you? What can separate you from his love? It goes on in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all? That no matter what we face, no matter what suffering we face, no matter what situation we face, God will give us everything we need to do everything he has called us to accomplish. And beyond that, he's given us hope that not even death can steal from us. Amen? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? I realize today you may have more questions than I've given answers. And that's legitimate if that's the case. But I do know that we have hope. And I do know that when Christians feel like they are hopeless, it's just a feeling.
0: It's not the truth. Because we have hope.
1: We have hope. The old adage, I may not know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. Mm. All right, guys, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to say a word of prayer here in just a minute. But I invite you to imagine... What, what it might mean for, if God's inviting you today to put down your sword. It doesn't mean be lazy and not do anything. It doesn't mean don't make any choices or just use a magic eight ball. God, what should I do? Okay. No. We, we got to use our, whatever wisdom we have, use counsel, all that stuff. But what does it look like to quit acting like I have control of the situation and start trusting that God's going to use this? God's going God's to work this together for my good. And if you're here today and you haven't put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ, I I pray that that faith has been uh, awakened in you. And if it has, this same hope, this same promise that I'm talking about can be yours today in Jesus as you reach out to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, the privilege to be together to worship you, um, to be reminded of your goodness and your grace. And God, I thank you for uh, this passage today and, and what it represents, what it reminds us of. God, I thank you that, um, Jesus, that when you came, it was not just to show us how to do better, but it was actually to, to, make, <laughs> to make us alive. Scripture says we once were dead in our sins, but now we have been made alive with Christ. That we should consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. That we were crucified with Christ. And that now we live in Christ, and Christ lives in us. Lord, I just pray for those precious promises and those reminders of truth. God, I know that there's people here today that need to hear that. I know that we need that hope. We need that hope from you. So Lord, I pray that you would do it. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Pray that you would move in the way that only you can, God. Pray that you would uh, move on the hearts of of those who are here who may may feel faith rising up in their lives. God, I pray that they would take that step of faith and reach out to you in prayer. And say, God, I want to know you. God, I want to be forgiven for my sin. I want to be clean. I want to be with you. I want to know this hope. God, I pray for those of us who profess and confess this hope, God, that we would be reminded of it in actuality, in reality, in our experience on our Monday mornings, on our Thursday mornings, all of our mornings. (laughs) Just pray that you would speak to us, remind us, God. And God, I pray that as we take a few minutes to respond, we would remember the hope that we have in the resurrection and that that hope makes sense for today. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.